Welcome back to another edition of the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. I brought on the great Lucas Harkins. Uh, he's the site editor, uh, the bracketologist over there at Busting Brackets. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Hardwired Sports. Uh, he does a great job. You know, bracketology season is around. He does power rankings. And he does excellent coverage of Butler. Uh, Lucas, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, good evening. I was planning on starting with Butler Villanova, but uh, we kind of had something a little bit bigger pop up uh, at the end of the Kansas Kansas State brawl or game. There was a brawl. Uh, a brouhaha took place. Following it, Silvio de Sousa lifts up a chair, uh, gets a 12-game suspension. Uh, Antonio Gordon, I believe, got eight. No, it was James Love who got eight. Uh, Antonio Gordon got three games, and David McCormick got two game suspensions. Uh, what do you make of this whole situation? Um, I have to admit, it took, took me a bit by surprise. Uh, I wasn't watching the whole game. A lot of my time, what the ball happens, but I basically just seen uh, the replay of it more than the lead up. Uh, but uh, an impressive draw, I will say. Um, a lot of action in, in, in a short period of time there. Um, you don't see that many balls these days that are as common. I mean, the one that comes to mind for me was the Baker uh, Cincinnati brawl from a few years ago. But, yeah, I mean, it was, it was certainly a, 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 a big deal of the week uh, for, for the end of the game that uh, was already out of basically out of hand. I think it was a 21 point game at the time, and obviously clock running out. Rivalry has an impact, that's for sure. Yeah, the rivalry certainly had an impact uh, on that brawl in general. Uh, you know, what do you make of the sp- suspensions? Uh, do you think they were fair? I personally would have done maybe a little bit less on DeSosa, just as a suspension note. I do think 12 games is Maybe a bit excessive. Uh, I've probably gone a little bit lower on the uh, suspension there. Uh, maybe Marcus Garrett, uh, Dewan Gordon, a couple others that were involved in the punching, I think, could have gotten suspensions. But what do you make of the suspensions? Were they fair? Yeah, I'm not sure you're ever going to get really a perfect length on any suspension. Uh, it's, it's too little. It's, it'd rather be too many games. Um, to you, um, especially with how questionable I would say some NCAA decisions have been with regards to player management in the last couple of years, aka transfers. Um, but I, I think it's good to have maybe this is a precedent set um, in the future. But yeah, I, I think we'll find out that both teams are going to, uh, at least Kansas should be fine uh, even without guys for a while. When they come back, we'll see how they get integrated back in the rotation. That's my bigger issue. Yeah, for Kansas State, it really is a non-issue, given that they're not really a good basketball team at this uh, point in the season. For Kansas, obviously, Silvio D'Souza has gotten into probably an eighth or ninth man role at this point. So, you know, his loss is not going to be too big, uh, although you don't want to lose a player. I think David McCormick getting 
two games and Marcus Garrett not getting any games. Uh, if you would have asked any Kansas fan following that, if those were the suspensions, they would have taken that probably nine times out of ten. So I think, you know, probably would have gone a little bit more people getting suspended, but DeSosa, I do think getting 12 games is excessive. Now we're going to actually move on to why I originally had planned on bringing you in. Uh, it was the big Butler-Villanova game. Uh, Villanova wins this game handily. The Bulldogs are now on a three-game slide. Uh, what's your concern meter for Butler? Um, extremely low compared to probably the entire rest of the Butler family. Simply because it would have been nice for Butler to win one or two games um, of this last stretch. Absolutely. It would have been better if they performed better in specifically, mainly the DePaul game. They didn't play poorly in the loss of Pete Hall. Pete Hall was just better that night. And Villanova, I actually didn't think was an altogether bad performance for Butler either. It's hard to win at a top 10 team. Uh, the DePaul game was a, more of a head scratcher, even though DePaul is better than a lot of people give them credit for. Butler simply did not play well in that game, and a 13 point deficit does not describe how poorly they played in that game. On the whole, though, that's probably the toughest three game, three game stretch of the season um, for Butler. And now, if you look at it from the grand scheme of things, Butler 3 and 3, having played the toughest intra conference strength of schedule in the Big East so far. And they've already played four of their first six games in a row, two and two in those two road games, with the home loss coming to Seton Hall, who I think is a title contender. Not a Big East title contender, a national title contender. Uh, my panic level for Butler will definitely rise if this next stretch doesn't go as well um, as I'm hoping, but Butler gets five of their next seven games in Angle Field out, um, with the two road games coming against Georgetown and Marquette, both relatively winnable. Um, yeah, I feel like this 70 and stretch is what defines whether or not Butler is going to be a contender behind Seton Hall in the in the Big East or just going to kind of settle into the middle and make sense. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, there's a little bit cause for concern. You know, you mentioned, you know, the Butler fan base. You sent me that tweet of David Woods uh, freaking out. Butler's now in sixth place in the Big East while they've played the three toughest game stretch anyone's had to play in Big East play thus far. The DePaul loss, I do think, is a bit of a concern, but you know Seton Hall played really well to beat Butler a week ago. Uh, and Villanova, that's a top 10, top 15 team that, you know, it's really hard to win those type of games. You know, I don't know if anyone has won at Villanova this year, uh, but, you know, to lose that game is not a big deal. Yeah, and the thing for me is Butler really has done a really good job all season long defending the three-point line. Um, and I know that a lot of people will just chalk that up to luck, but in the grand scheme of things, they've shut down some pretty darn good shooting teams this season. Um, Villanova shot 36% um, from three against Butler, which is good, not great. Um but that's what I think threw me off after the Paul game. Is the Paul not only was hitting looks at an absurd rate, they shot 10 for 17, 59% for the Paul um, as a team that as a team is shooting 33% this season. But they were actually getting open looks, and that was what caused that was what was a cause for concern for me. Villanova, Villanova is a team that shoots a ton of threes, but they were ready for that. Nova hit a bunch of threes, but that's what they do. That's what makes them a top ten team in the country. So. 
if Bill was getting consistently wide open looks like the ball was getting against Butler, I'd be much more concerned than I am now. But I think I think Butler's defense is, is settling back to where it was earlier in the season, aside from the fact that it is still sending opponents to the free throw line at a ridiculously high rate. Yeah, I, I definitely think going forward, you mentioned the seven game stretch. They should probably, you know, go like six and one. And I think that gets them uh, back in the chase for the Big East title. I don't know if teams like Seton Hall or Villanova will be able to go without running away from Butler if the Bulldogs are able to reel off, you know, seven straight victories in this next stretch. Do you think Butler's still in the, you know, outside chase for a Big East title? I think in the hunt, yes, but. I don't know if anyone can really catch Seton Hall. They have impressed me so much. Uh, they're 7-0 already. It's a big lead over everyone not named Villanova. Uh, and, and they've done it with more than just Miles Powell. I mean, McKnight is six numbers of conference player off the chart. He's the defensive player of the year candidate in the country. And Romaro Gill, for some reason, isn't the defensive player of the year candidate, which is whatever he deserves to be. And he scored in double figures in each of their last six games. He's no longer just a seven foot two shot blocker. He's a legitimate pick and roll threat with McKnight and, and Powell and, and finishing at a high level there. Uh, you have those two guys as legitimate offensive threats in addition to their defense alongside Powell and Sandro Mamu coming back in a week. Yeah, I don't know if anyone catches Seton Hall. Yeah, Seton Hall is, I think, probably at this point the heavy favorites to win the league. Uh, you mentioned the development of Gill. You know, defensively, he, he blocked basically every single shot the last night. The entire Providence team. Yeah. I, I sent that <laughs> meme out last night. Draw 25 cards or get your shot blocked by Romero Gill. The, yeah. I mean, he's had it was, 17 block shots in his last three games. Eight against Providence, six against Pete Mall. I mean, six against St. John's and three against Southern. Yeah, it, it was... Third ridiculous what he was doing last night uh, just from a shot blocking perspective uh, something you know I don't think I've seen yet this year just from a defensive standpoint and the fact that he's not on the you know midseason top 15 list is uh, I don't know if the people voting in that know what they're watching if they exclude him and they obviously have been watching Seton Hall because they included Quincy McKnight, and deservedly so. Yeah. Uh, just, I, I guess they maybe, I don't know the rationale behind it, but he definitely deserves to be on there. Maybe they figured you can only have, like, two bigs, uh, but <laughs> even then. He's uh, one of those two bigs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is a shot-blocking machine. You mentioned Mamu Kilishvili uh, being out. Uh, you know he should be coming back in the near future. Do you think it would, I would be? Think within the next two weeks. Do you think it would be wise to institute him in the starting lineup in place of, let's say, a Jared Roden, who has been really good playing at the four? Or do you think you know you kind of let him come back a little bit slow, uh, a ten, you know, fifteen minute a night type role? Uh, off the bench, maybe as a small ball five or at the four for a few minutes. Do you want to go with that role or just institute him back into uh, what role he was previously in, which is uh, kind of the you know 25, 30-minute game 
uh, type role that you usually see? Yeah, I think that depends how he feels and how um, Coach Willard is dealing with that. Uh, I, I know Coach Willard has spoken really highly of both um, Roden and Tyreek Samuel being able to fill in and play big minutes before um, with him gone, especially Samuel as a, uh, as a freshman. So we'll see how that could address. I would assume Miles comes off the bench when he comes back, but it, it does depend how he's feeling. If he's not really back to 100% by the start of February, um, maybe we'll see him play maybe in a six-man role, getting his normal minutes but still not wanting to mess up the starting lineup that's been on a nine-game winning streak. Yeah, I I just think personally I would probably rather have him in the 10- to 15-minute role and you don't want to mess with the flow that you have going on with, you know, the four-guard lineup, which is working really well, the defensive prowess of this team. I would say Mamu is probably, if you put him back in the lineup, the you know, a defensive liability, relatively speaking, uh, you know, when it comes to what these four-guard lineups can kind of do on the defensive side of the ball. That's my main concern with putting him back in the lineup for, you know, 25, 30 minutes. But we'll see what Kevin Willard does. Uh, it should be interesting. Last question, uh, Aaron Thompson, the guard uh, for Butler, he's, you know, been really good on the defensive side. Uh, why is he better than Malik White? So I knew this was coming. Um, and really, we've, we've been having this conversation between, in our group chat and between me and Brad. Um, pretty much since the summer. Um, I will say Thompson has now played especially well uh, here in this past three-game losing streak, and really through conference play, he hasn't been very, hasn't been maybe not necessarily listening himself um, as a ball handler, but he's still one of the best defensive guards, um, not in the Big East, literally in the country. Um, it is really hard to score on him when he's playing smart ball, not falling on, on perimeter jump shooters. He's, he's really tough to stop. Um, like he's really tough to score on. Colin Gretzky last night, I mean, not last night, but in the Butler Villanova game, shot four for 15 from the field. And I know at least two of those shots were against Baldwin and not against Colin Gretzky. I mean, not against Aaron Thompson. I, I think he's done that kind of throughout the season. He gets the toughest matchup um, and he works it. Miles Powell was nine for 23, which isn't necessarily his most efficient night. Marcus Zagorowski played well, but they didn't match him up on them. Tyshawn Alexander got the call uh, of Thompson. Alexander was three for eight in that game, and that's just shutting down a guy who usually shoots a lot more than that. Um, yeah, I think Thompson has been pretty much the linchpin for Butler all season long, and I think this three-game losing streak coincides um, with him maybe having his poorest stretch of the season. And that goes in, in turn with the fact that Sean McDermott, who was shooting – 48% from three in non-conference play. She's at 25 for the first six conference games. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's, the issue for Butler had more been just personnel having rough stretches that are kind of aggressively returning to them to the mean uh, at, at the same time. I think Thompson and, and, and McDermott have both kind of regressed a little bit to the extreme in the past few games, and they'll, they'll settle back out. Maybe not do as well as they played for the first, 13 or 14 games, but well enough for Butler's back in the maybe not top five, but top 15, top 20 consistently conversation. Yeah, I think Thompson, you know, he's an elite defender. Uh, we know his on-ball skills are up there. I'd say, you know, 
Davion Mitchell. Uh, you know, you mentioned Mar- Romaro Gill as a you know top defender in the country. Uh, you know, Marcus Garrett, I think, is another player that comes to mind. Uh, Davion Mitchell, you know, one of the best defenders in not only the Big East but in the sport. Uh, that's Ashton Higgins, Trey Jones. Yeah. Uh, well, th- those guys are a little bit more known for their defense, I guess. I was yeah. kind of like mentioning the you know other guys that I think are maybe even better at defending than you know the Trey Jones, Ashton Hagen's crew. Uh, moving on here, we're going to get into some uh, bracketology. We haven't really done uh, bracketology themed podcast yet this season. Uh, and we're now getting closer to Selection Sunday. I think we're inside eight weeks now. So want to do, get, hit on a few different topics, uh, starting with the Big Ten. Uh, this league is a mess. Uh, and most notably on the bubble, Minnesota and Purdue. Uh, Purdue is 10-9. and nine. Minnesota is 10-8, and eight, uh, although at the time... This podcast publishes. They might be uh, ten and nine as well because they are currently losing to Ohio State. Uh, just real quick on the, you know, those two teams. Uh, do you think those Minnesota and Purdue? What do you think they need to do to get into the NCAA term? I mentioned uh, they need road road wins. Uh, neither team really has. I think they have a combined one road win. Uh, what do you think this you know duo needs to do uh, going forward to get into the NCAA tournament? Well, for the founders, they only have one road win. The only road win is at Ohio, um, which isn't saying much. Um, not Ohio State, the, Buc- the, the Bobcats, not the Buckheads. Um, you know, I think for, for Purdue, it, it really is staying the course and finding a way to win a couple road games because they're going to be, to me, that dark horse team that kind of sneaks up on the bubble um, down the stretch. They finish Michigan at home, Indiana at home, Iowa on the road, Rutgers at home. And for a team that's as good as they are in the Acura Arena, uh, they could really sneak up on people if they finish 3-1, 4-0 over their last four games. If they can remain within striking distance over the next few weeks, um, their closing schedule gives them an opportunity to make a run. Now, the odds that they're able to Stay the course in a Big Ten that's as difficult as it is uh, is challenging, especially when their one road win of the season was at Ohio, and it's not like they played a big gauntlet of a road schedule as they even lost by, at Nebraska by 14, uh, at Marquette by 11. Um, they got destroyed at Illinois. Um, they haven't not only won on the road, they haven't performed even close to as well as they have at home. Uh, and that's my concern with Purdue, is if they can even put together a strong enough performance to really win a road game. Um, as for Minnesota, I think they have a slightly better chance. Uh, their efficiency metrics aren't as good, uh, but they currently have a better record. They've proven they can win in conference play a little bit more. Uh, obviously, having the benefit of playing Northwestern at home helps everybody. But they also get the Northwestern again. They get them twice the season they play on the road, and then they end the season with a home game against Nebraska. So they have the three games against the bottom tier of the Big Ten that will just boost their record a little bit, uh, which which is going to be important because to me I always kind of view the cutoff of an at-large bid. I don't 
I get the hard call for me if I feel like the resume is good enough that I'll include them in my bracketology still. But 15 losses is hard to overcome. And, and in the Big Ten, there are going to be a couple teams, Minnesota and Purdue, that are going to sit around that 14, 15, 16 loss record. So having the opportunities to play Northwestern twice and Nebraska once, that Minnesota does, might be what keeps them underneath that threshold and maybe they can pick up a couple more quality wins to get there. Yeah. I think you mentioned the 14-15 loss thresholds really the cutoff. Uh, I kind of look as it four games over 500. You've seen in you know the past a 19 and 15 team gets into the field, but 18 and 15 team uh, hardly does. What was that Vanderbilt? What was that Vanderbilt team the other two years ago? I think they were. I think they were 19 and 15, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, they got in at 19 and 15 as a nine seed and lost to Northwestern the first time. Yeah, and then a couple years ago, Alabama got in at 19 and 15, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but last year, I, I think. I want to say that was the same year. No, it was not the same year. Is the year after? Yeah, they got in at 19 and 15. That's nine seed and then lost to Villanova. But then last year, Purdue, or. Not Purdue. Indiana, I think, had like a 18 and 15 record, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, and they did not get in. Correct. So I think it's kind of a four game over 500 cutoff uh, for making the NCAA tournament. Uh, those two teams will need to probably win a couple road games in order to reach that threshold. Uh, both it's teams. A good thing for them. So that the ACC is just not what it has done in the past. Yeah, the ACC, uh, Big 12 even, SEC, all those conferences are down. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But, uh, and I that, think that, even that, that is mainly why I think everyone believes the Big Ten and the Big East are so much better than everyone else. Isn't because they're really that impressed with the Big Ten or the Big East. If the ACC isn't any good and the Big 12 only has three teams. Yeah, I think that makes, you know, just a league that has 12 decent teams, uh, maybe one really good team, but then 11 decent teams and two terrible teams. Uh, that makes that look really well. Yeah, I and mean, if you look at the Big Ten, to me, right now, if you just told me what the ceiling is, I would say there's 10 teams in the Big Ten that have legitimate second weekend potential. Yeah, but I that that would be the entirety of the Big Twelve. <laughs> yeah, but I I also think there's two more teams in the Big Twelve that have Final Four potential than the Big Ten. Right on. Uh, we'll get into the ACC. Uh, we mentioned that league has been uh, very down. Florida State, Louisville, Duke, all three of those teams are going to be dancing, uh, but. You know, you look at going past that, you got Virginia Tech. They're sitting there, I think, on the right side of the bubble right now. Uh, you like their resume. I'm a little bit. I do like the Hokies resume. I'm a little bit more down on the Hokies resume. Uh, haven't picked up, you know, besides that Michigan State win, which is excellent. As many, you know, great wins as possible, although they do have a good record. NC State's another team kind of on the bubble. Hey, don't just gloss over the fact that they have a good record. There are not many teams that get through that have good records. 
Yeah, especially, I guess, once you get down towards the bubble. Uh, NC State, you know, is another, I think, bubble team. Virginia's on the wrong side of the bubble. Syracuse is on the wrong side of the bubble. Uh, which of these teams do you think can make the NCAA tournament? Uh, do you think it's like three or three or four bids or five or I think I think it's going to be a five bid league, and I don't really see a way it's anything more or less right now. Oh. It's kind of all I can envision is the ACC getting five bids. The two Florida State, Louisville, and Fox, NC State, and Virginia are probably the fourth and fifth teams to me. But the odds, Virginia. I just kind of finds a way to battle off a few wins. Uh, I know they're four and four in conference right now, but and it's going to be hard to leave Virginia off. They go above 500 in the ACC, uh, just because they have some stuff on the resume. It's not like it's that bad. They have a nice road win um, against Syracuse, the season opener that everyone seems to forget about. They, that was when everyone thought Virginia was darn good when they held uh, the Orange to 34 points. Uh, I think they still have a chance, and, and I'll say Syracuse has picked it up a little bit uh, as of late, while Virginia has dropped four of the last five games. Syracuse has won four in a row. Um, I never one to really believe in the Orange, but as a bracketologist, if they're sitting on the bubble, I'll just give them an 11 seed because they'll find a way to make the final four. Yeah. As Syracuse always does, uh, eleven seed to Sweet Sixteen. It's it's a yearly tradition, unlike anything else. But last year, when they were an eight seed, I believe they lose in the first round. So they have to get a double digit seed to even yeah. win a game in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Syracuse. I think people. Really, I really don't think people are paying enough attention to what Syracuse is doing right now. I mean, their last four games have been not easy. At Virginia, Boston College at home is a pushover. But then Virginia Tech on the road, Notre Dame on the road, they went four and up. And now they get four, four out of their next five games at home. Um, and let's just, if they man, and their road game is at Clemson, which is pretty winnable. If they find a way to escape that stretch, uh, four and one, maybe even five and oh, with a home win over Duke, question mark. Syracuse isn't really. They have a chance to escape the bubble by February. Yeah, they certainly have an opportunity uh, coming up. Syracuse, I think, underratedly has you know become a bubble team. I think you know early in the season. Behind offense, behind efficient offense that can shoot. Yeah, you got Buddy Bayheim has turned into Stephen Curry, uh, Joe Girard. Elijah Hughes or Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant, you, you basically have the uh, 2018 Golden State Warriors uh, suiting up in orange jerseys with those three. Uh, and the orange of, you know, you know, you mentioned Virginia. That has now become a really good quadrant one win. Uh, you know, early in the season, I think you they pick up that win. You're like, maybe it's a quadrant one win. Uh probably quadrant two win it looked like it was going to be a quadrant two win now all of a sudden that win is really uh, going to help the uh, Cavaliers uh, Syracuse as well you know the upcoming stretch will be key for them if they can go four and one five and oh like you mentioned they are uh, either 
safely in the tournament field or sitting uh, on the bubble as usual. Yeah, I mean, they're 4-1 in true road games this season, which is kind of remarkable considering how no one is one on the road basically all season. Except for Syracuse. Uh, moving on, we're going to go to the Big East. Uh, it's been fun this year. You have three teams at the top, Butler, Seton Hall, Villanova. I think all three of those uh, teams will you know, wind up with like a two to five seed, uh, just from that perspective. Uh, but then, you know, moving forward, Marquette and Creighton, I think, are pretty safe at the moment. Then you got DePaul, Xavier, Georgetown. Uh, you know, that grouping, St. John's, kind of more on the uh, out. What do you make of the Big East thus far? Yeah, I think Seton Hall. Um, I, I'm going to stand by it as that they. I wouldn't be all that shocked if Seton Hall was in that conversation for a one seed in the final two. Um, I think that they're that good. And I don't think that anyone really, uh, will, like outside of the Big Ten, I think Seton Hall has, has, is pretty close to where Michigan State is right now. Um, I think Seton Hall has a better chance to kind of just, there isn't a bad loss. I mean, there isn't a bad loss in the Big East, and there's arguably more chances for high-quality wins because of that. Uh, than there is in the Big Ten. So if Seton Hall is able to roll through Big East play as it is through already seven games, they're, they're going to have a chance to creep up, especially with, I think, both of us right now in our one-seed line, Ted Gonzaga and San Diego State, who are a loss or two away from falling out of the one-seed line really quick. Yeah, I think Baylor and, Baylor and Kansas right now have you know pretty much put a stranglehold on you know the top two seeds. San Diego State, Gonzaga are there as well, but you mentioned, you know, you lose, let's say if you're San Diego State, you lose UNLV and uh, Nevada on the road. I don't even know if they play Nevada. Then all of a sudden you're looking at a situation where you're on the uh, two line going into Selection Sunday, which I I don't know if they would mind too much given that they'd still probably be in the West region. Uh, but still, that probably leaves room for Seton Hall to move up to the one line. Uh, I think. Well, I would say that's been my biggest takeaway from the Big East, is I think Seton Hall is that good. Yeah, Seton Hall is really good. Villanova is just going to do Villanova-like things. They're going to be in contention for Big East title. Uh, probably, I think, a team that could maybe reach the Final Four, but... Uh, and Butler, you know, they've struggled the last three games. Nothing from the first uh, 15 or 16 games showed anything but this team being a national title contender. So you have three uh, really good teams in the Big East uh, that could all do damage come NCAA tournament time. Uh, but I do I think... Creighton great, great quietly has five quarters one wins, which blew my mind when I saw it this morning. Yeah, Creighton... It, Creighton as well, I think, is going to be a single-digit seed. I think probably six or a seven I seed. I think Marquette will be too. Yeah. Marcus Howard, you know, going on the Marquette tangent, he has just been fantastic. Uh, I don't know if he's getting enough praise for just how good he has been over... Yeah, I'm not sure there's a single player in the country that really puts as much fear in their opponent um, as Marcus Howard does in the country. 
yeah, he is a stud. I think Miles Powell at this point is probably the favorite for National Player of the Year. Uh, yeah, definitely. Better team. Yeah. Not about it. But if you give the award to Marcus Howard, I will not complain because he is just, he's on another level uh, and he's doing it on a consistent basis, which is, you know, just something to watch. Yeah, I would say it's kind of surprising, but I think I, I had high hopes for the Biggie coming into the season. But in my opinion, the conference is maybe a week or two away from having four or five locks in a 10 team week. Yeah, I, I think Creighton and Marquette are really close to, you know, I think they're pretty safe they're tournament over 90% teams. for me. I think, I think they'd be over a 90%. Yeah, I would probably go 85, 90% for, you know, both yeah. those teams. I think Creighton's probably more at 90% than Marquette, but Marquette's, you know, in that category as well as a team that's not really sweating too much at the moment when it comes to making and the I NCAA have no tournament. idea what to believe about the bottom five. No idea. Xavier, I think, is massively underachieving, uh, particularly because they cannot shoot. Uh, and they and they just kind of lost an identity. I mean, I hope they got that back um, in their home in their win over Georgetown. Uh, they looked a little. I think they held the Hornets to fifty-seven points, um, even without Quentin Gooden on the floor. Uh, but I don't really know if I can trust Xavier as a tournament team. The ball is one and five in conference. St. John's is one of six in conference. Both of them had NCAA tournament at least bubble caliber resumes after non-conference play, but. And they're probably still in that because they haven't taken any bad losses. It's just that I'm not sure they can get to close to 500 in conference anymore. And if that's the case, they're not going to have enough wins to really dance. Providence is the opposite. They might get enough wins in conference play, but didn't win anything in that conference. Yeah. Which sounds uh, a nightmare to figure out because sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't, and they only play seven guys. Yeah. I think going forward, I think DePaul has, you know, probably the most room for error, I guess. None of these teams have room for error. They've already given up the room for error. That's the thing. It's like, I thought DePaul had room for error, too, and then they dropped the first four conference game. Yeah, but, like, let's say they go 7, would be 7-11 in Biggie's play. That would get them into the NCAA tournament, whereas... uh, you know, Georgetown, St. John's, if they go 7-11 and beat these plays, Xavier as well, I don't think either any of those teams get into the tournament. My concern about DePaul is that they're already 1-5 in conference, and they've already played four of their six games at home. Yeah, DePaul's, you know, kind of shot themselves in the foot thus far in Big East play, but they do have opportunities coming up. Uh, if they can... You know, get back to that seven and eleven range in Biggie's play. Yeah. They do, pr- I think, probably get into they the NCAA. To, they tournament. have to go six and six to finish. Yeah, if they can do that, I think they get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, they might even need to win a Biggie's tournament game, but they've done themselves no favors thus far in conference play. To well, say I'm the thinking least. You're right to get to seven and eleven. So Paul would have to go six and six, and they only have five home games left. You have to win on the road sometime, I guess. Uh, moving Apparently. on. Now they did. They did win at home and in, in downtown for quite. 
Um, Minnesota and Iowa on the road, but that hasn't been the case in conference play yet. Yeah. Moving on, going to get into the Big 12. Uh, what do you make of this league? Because there are, I, I think... I love the top three, and I hate everybody else. Yeah, I think Baylor <laughs> and Kansas are pretty clearly uh, the top two seeds overall. I don't think there's much of an argument. Kansas just has a ridiculous amount of Quadrant 1 wins. Uh, Baylor, they have they only have five a Quadrant... A number of Quadrant 2 wins. And, I think they're 7-0 in quad two. Uh, let's see here. Or am I thinking of West Virginia? No, Baylor's 4-0. Yeah, West Virginia's 7-2. Baylor's 5-1 Baylor's in quadrant one, uh, but all five, of, all five of those quadrant one wins are quadrant one A wins, which yeah. that, that puts you as the top seed overall if you have five quadrant one A wins. Uh, and those not listening that don't know, uh, Quadrant 1A is basically a top 25 win uh, on a neutral, top 15 at home, and top 40 on the road. Uh, just to clarify that, Baylor has five of those wins, which I think pretty clearly paces them as the team to beat to get a, n- the number one overall seed. Uh, and then West Virginia is sitting pretty calm, I think, as a two to three seed, really good team. Yeah, they're kind of in Nothing that. Really else to say. They're just they're a step behind Baylor and Kansas, but a step ahead of basically everyone else in the country. They're a really good team that's probably going to finish third in their conference. Yeah, they might go like fifteen and three in Big Twelve play and finish third, <laughs> which goes to show After how. That, though, after those three, I don't really know if I like anyone in the Big 12. I know I've been lower on Texas Tech for as many as anyone else that does bracketology. I think they still make the tournament, but I kind of hate their resume. Um, I think they're a way better team than what their simple numbers show, but at a certain point, they have to show something on their resume. Yeah, um, Oklahoma has a better resume than I think, but they're still probably a double team. Texas is not back. Uh, <laughs> Shaka Smart uh, might not be back after this season as well. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Texas Tech. You know they have that great Louisville win, but awesome know, win, awesome win. But you need something else, and they have not really right now, done anything. They have four. They have four wins over quad one, two, and three combined. Four of them. Yeah. An eight over is, quadrant four. Yeah. The the I mean, uh, the underrated part of scheduling is if they schedule, let's say, UNC Greensboro, Furman, and uh, East Tennessee State. You know, they prob they probably win all three of those games, and they're sitting there with you know a bunch of quadrant two wins, and we're not talking about their resume being, you know. Terrible, uh, relatively speaking. Nebraska has more wins over quad one, two, and three than than Texas Tech does. So does Buffalo. That's not good. And both of them have both of them have a quadrant one win, just like just like Texas Tech does. Texas Tech one and six in quadrant one, and they're three and zero in two in quadrant two and three. 
I, I mean, I hope that. And the issue for them is that, as we talked about, the top three in the Big 12 is so good that I'm not sure I can see Texas Tech beating one of those three. Yeah, maybe they get West Virginia at home. I think that that's the most likely win for them. Uh, but they I, do get Kentucky this weekend, which would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, a non conference game in the middle of January. That would be a huge win. Yeah, um, if they can get Kentucky, that would be big. Yeah, they, they I think people are going to either realize Texas Tech is uh, better than their resume was right now, and over their next three games, they're going to realize they aren't very good. They go Kentucky at home, West Virginia at home, Kansas on the road. They could be 12 and 9 in a hurry. They could also be 14 and 7 and a really, really, really good team after these next three games. Yeah, these next three games, they need to win at least one of these uh, games. Uh, Otherwise, you start looking 12 and 9 record. Yeah, the Big 12's, you know, an easy conference at this point. But. You need to start picking up uh, wins against good competition, uh, which they will have opportunities. Oklahoma's another team, uh, I guess, is on the bubble. Uh, They have better wins than Texas Tech at this point in the season. Uh, They have more good wins. They have more good wins. Texas Tech's best win is way better. Yes. But they they definitely have better good wins. That Minnesota win is, is... That Minnesota win is going to be a top 50 win, whether Minnesota has... Minnesota wins games or doesn't win games. Yeah. That's going to be a top 75, top 50 win. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, the worst Minnesota drops to, and this is like, they don't win another game in league play, <laughs> I think they still end up with a top 60 ranking in the net. That's... Yeah. That's just how the Big Ten is at this point. Yeah. I think Oklahoma is at this moment. A bubble team. I think they're on the right side of the bubble, but I agree. I guess because their resume metrics are great. Yeah, and you know the other thing and is they, they have challenge themselves. No bad losses. They're zero and five in quadrant one A, which obviously isn't a good record. But when five or six losses are against really good competition, that's better. Yeah, no quad two, quad three, quad four losses uh, either. Um, they really did a good job. Uh, Lon Kruger always does this. He does a really good job scheduling, uh, which is yep. you know very underrated when it comes to uh, making the NCAA tournament if you are going to be a bubble team. I don't know if he was planning on being a bubble team, but... Since since that's the situation they are in, I guess credit to him for uh, working a way to be on the right side of the bubble, at least for the moment. Moving on, uh, I guess TCU is another team that's, I think, they're not really in the tournament picture, but I guess if they start picking up quality wins, maybe beat Kansas or Baylor, they could get there. Uh, other than that, I don't really see uh, any room for another team making the NCAA tournament from the Big T- 12. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think it's probably going to end up being a four or five-day lead, but 
only the top three are good. Yeah, I, I'd say five would be my number uh, with Tech and Oklahoma joining the big three. Uh, moving on, the Pac-12 is slated to get uh, a lot more bids than it got last year when it needed Oregon to uh, win the Pac-12 tournament just to get that third bid. Uh, Oregon, uh, they're really good. I think a pretty clear contender for uh, top three or four seed this year. Uh, after that, there's a lot of decent resumes in this league. Uh, what do you like about the Pac-12 teams? I'm all aboard the Stanford train and USC. I think I was one of the first people at Rex who really liked USC, and I put them in the field a few weeks ago. Um, and I, I, their resume is kind of getting better with each week um, as their numbers improve. I think USC is really underrated. Uh, I agree. Oregon's a really good team. Arizona's resume is overrated. Colorado's resume is about right. Um, those teams are probably going to fit in the 5 to 8 seed range. Stanford, I don't know if Stanford's really ever going to have a resume that fits how good it is. I think Stanford's is like, obviously their net ranking is phenomenal and probably overrating how good they actually are, but maybe not by much. I think Stanford is quietly in the 20 to 30 best teams in the country. Yeah, that, I mean, their net ranking is going to keep them afloat. Uh, I don't know if it just, needs to keep them afloat because, I mean, they have been awesome um, in big in Pac-12 play so far. They lost that game to USB. But I, and, and I think that people kind of look down on them for that because they have such a big lead. But in the end, they lost on the road by four in overtime to a team that's probably going to sit on the bubble. That's just not a really bad loss, especially if you compare the other two losses that are neutral site loss to Butler and a home loss to Kansas. They don't have very many good wins, but at a certain point, we have to reward the teams that actually beat the teams on their schedule. Um, and there aren't that many teams in the country that have beaten the teams on their schedule. Yeah, I think Stanford's a pretty clear tournament team. It it does concern me that they only have uh, combined three, you know, quadrant one, quadrant two wins at this point in the season. The losses are not going to kill them at all. Uh, if they just keep taking care of business, they'll probably end up being uh, anywhere from a six to an eight seed, maybe a nine seed at the lowest. But uh, the Stanford team's really good this year. Uh, and credit to Jared Hayes, I was not a believer in Stanford coming into the year. He has kind of proved me wrong thus far. Uh, you mentioned USC. This is a team that quietly has a really good resume. They now have three Quadrant 1 wins, uh, Quadrant 2 uh, wins as well, four road wins. Uh, USC's a team I think is pretty safely in the tournament at this point in the season. Washington holds on to that Oregon game. Uh, that's a great win, uh, Quadrant 1A win, uh, to go along it with maybe that. Maybe makes up for losing to Cal 
and UCLA, maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you also got the Baylor win uh, first week of the season that yep. is basically carrying their resume. better than anyone expected. Yeah, it's carrying their resume. Yeah. It's the best well, win. Oregon State. It's by far the best win of any team. Uh, Oregon State, Arizona State are two more teams. I don't I think, think they're, they're pretty much out. Both have shots, but I think they're they're, they're long shots. Yeah, they're. I think. Same with same with Utah. Ten to fifteen percent chance one of those two teams makes the field. Utah, I'd say, is at this point even lower. Uh, yep, definitely. That's for sports very But. I think if you're the Pac-12, you would gladly, given last season, uh, just take five oh, yeah. teams. If you told uh, Larry they, Scott, yeah, I think, yeah, and I think five get in. Yeah, you took you tell oh, Larry oh, Scott oh, oh. preseason, you get five teams into the tournament field. Uh, he takes that without even signing. Possibly all in single digit seats. Yeah, I think that's a very Possibly. likely case, unless. One or two of those teams. Uh, USC or Stanford struggles, yeah. or Arizona drops more games because Arizona's resume isn't as good as they are as an actual team. Yeah, I think Colorado's a pretty clear uh, team that will be uh, probably five or six seed. Oregon's obviously going to be a contender. Stanford, USC, Arizona—one of those teams maybe drops off the nine line towards the bubble. But those five teams. Yeah, I have my concern. I have my concerns about Arizona, particularly could be figured out in the next couple weeks. They haven't won a road game yet this season. Their next three games are all on the road. Um, Arizona State, Washington, Washington State—all of them are winnable games. Probably Arizona will be favored in all three of them, but. They have to prove they can win away from home. Yeah. We'll see if they can outside actually do that. Over, outside of their eye roll, neutral site wins over Pepperdine, 10, and Wake Forest. And I roll. Hey, don't underestimate Wake Forest. They beat uh, Xavier. It's basically a well, quadrant I didn't really... 1A win if you're uh, talking to any Xavier fan. <laughs> uh, might be better than that Baylor win that Washington has. Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving to the SEC, uh, there's not a lot to like here. LSU, Kentucky, Auburn are yeah, all like good LSU. teams. LSU, I think, I think LSU is going to win the SEC this year. I, Which is incredibly quiet because I'm not sure I've heard a single national media person mention LSU a single time. Yeah. They're 14 and four. They've won seven straight games, and I'm not sure I've heard a peep about the day. Their offense is so much fun. Yeah, the, LSU's really talented. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to them or Kentucky. I'm not a believer in Auburn. Uh, now they, they're they two games back of LSU for the SHC crown. Uh, all three of those... My dark horse remains Alabama. My dark horse is Bama. Yeah, Alabama's been playing great recently. That's a team that a month ago no one would have thought would make the tournament. I have I have high hopes for Bama going I don't know maybe eleven and seven in conference play um, and dancing relatively safely. I'd say the same with Florida. Um, that's kind of picked it up recently. Two teams I think I was a bit higher on than others going into the season. Just saying something for a team 
um, a little bit, and we'll be back in that over 500 near the top of the big four, not near the top of the SEC, um, maybe along with Alabama. I, I personally, I actually don't hate the SEC like some people do this year. I think the top is relatively good. I like Kentucky, Auburn, uh, I like LSU, Florida. I like Arkansas, I like them. I think those are six teams that should take, that should all make the tournament. I, I think that was six bid conference isn't bad. Yeah, not for this year. Uh, when the league's kind of down. Uh, yeah. You mentioned LSU, Kentucky. None of those teams really look like they're going to get a top three seed. I'm not this sure year. any of. I'm not sure any of anybody in the conference in the second weekend team that I'm not convinced of. But I think they'll get a bunch of teams in. Yeah, I think six is probably that the bunch number. Of teams. Unless, I think they only have six teams that are really going to contend for this. I don't really like Tennessee or Mississippi State this year. I think it's really just that course. Like, those two could speak in the conversation, um, like heavily into the conversation as the season goes on. But I think those six um, are are pretty separated from the rest, and I think those are the six that will Yeah. I think the one team you could see falling out of that, you know, mixture could end up being Arkansas. Uh, they have that win at Indiana, but. I, I think they kind of played a little bit above their heads uh, early in the season. Uh, the three-point defense has been you know, a main talking point because they're historically great at defending the three, which, I mean, it's a little bit luck-based at that it, point. But I would say it's also luck-based after only shooting 31% from three. Uh, like I think it, over the rest of the season, it'll probably level up if teams will shoot better against them. Think they will shoot better as well. Uh, Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe are so much fun to watch. I love this Arkansas offense, even though their defense has made them so great this season. They are so much fun to watch that I will not. I'm a little bit biased towards Arkansas right now because I just really like watching them play. Yeah, I think they'll probably get a little bit better offensively, but I do think defensively. Isaiah Joe is right at the top of my list of most watchable players in the country. Isaiah Joe is just. Green light from the second he walked in the gym. Yeah, he is a walking bucket. Mason Jones has been <laughs> fantastic this a year bucket. as well. Uh, outside of those two, there's not really a great player behind them, but you only need two players to win a game sometimes, and they have two fantastic players uh, that can win in a game that you would want. Uh I'd say six teams probably make the NCAA tournament. I do think Arkansas ends up more on the bubble when all is said and done, but I think they end up on the right side of the bubble, uh, and then they maybe only get one team into the NIT after that because I don't really like anyone's resume. Maybe Mississippi State, uh, although they don't have any good wins at this Tennessee, point. Tennessee with Vescovi, I think, will improve. Um, at least now they have a guard. Um, I, I like Tennessee. Uh, I watched him a little bit um, before he went to Tennessee because he was a public target for a while. Uh, no, I, I think he can he'll get better. I'm um, like keeping those long freshman. I think he'll join the team this season. Um, Tennessee is kind of quiet. They won four of their last five, and I think he'll get improved. And maybe, just maybe, because their schedule is murderous over their last five. They get Auburn on the road, Arkansas on the road, Florida at home, Kentucky on the road, Auburn at home over their last five. And that's murder. But at least they're good. I think by that point, they'll be what. Firmly in the rotation, firmly like across the speed of the college game, 
Tennessee. Maybe I I'm still not a believer in Tennessee. Uh, just very young this team is at a lot of spots. Uh, Lamonte Turner not being there, uh, you know, kind of been an issue. You know, it sucks that he's not going to be able to play the rest of the season. Uh, but without him on the team, I don't really trust Tennessee to win any of those big games towards the end of the season to get back into the NCAA tournament picture. Uh, moving on, going to get into the AC. I think this pretty clear three-bid league uh, with Memphis, uh, Houston, and Wichita State. Houston's been coming on as of late. They're looking really good. Uh, Wichita State did a lot uh, early in the season, and as did Memphis, but Memphis lost by 40 to Tulsa. So there's that. I think, though, three-bid league for the AC. Yeah, I think that's Moving on, Atlantic 10. I think Dayton is maybe a contender for two-seed this year. Uh, VCU, I think, is a tournament team. Uh, any other teams that could maybe sneak into the mix? Uh Richmond, I think, is a team that could maybe do that if they beat Dayton or VCU. Uh, any other teams besides the big two? No, I, I mean, I like Richmond, I think, more than most people do. I might even take them um, more in the VCU category than you are. Um, Rhode Island is the team I'd watch in the, in the A-10 tournament if it, if it gets to that point. Uh, Duquesne, I don't think really has much of a shot anymore. Uh, but I do like Rhodey. Um, I like they already a bit too much coming into the season, but that'll last five for a win. They still have VCU and Dayton twice. So they have VCU, they've already beaten VCU once on the road. They get them again and then Dayton twice um, still. So if they can split, they can take one or two of those games, I think I think Rhode Island's got a kind of quiet shot. They're good defensively. Um, Seth Russell has taken another step this season. Um, just out has been good. I, I think they have... They have enough talent to make a run. I, I don't think that the A-10 is going to be a, a four-bid league, but it, it might be three. Yeah, I think three is probably the max. I would set I think the, two is most likely. Yeah. I can see three. I think what you'll probably see, I just think Dayton's a clear step above any other team uh, in that league. So I think Dayton probably ends the year winning the Atlantic 10 tournament, uh, which puts... Teams like uh, Richmond and the thing is, Rhode if Island. Anyone, if anyone takes out Dayton in that tournament, it's, 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 it's an open. If anyone takes out Dayton, anyone can win. Yeah, Dayton's. It'd be really fun if Dayton won. Dayton's the but, clear class of that <laughs> tournament. Yeah, it's not even close. Moving on to the WCC, uh, Gonzaga is a one seed contender. Uh, BYU, I think, is. At this point, in pretty good shape. Uh, and then St. Mary's is, I think, kind of a bubble team at this point in the season. Uh, do you I kind of see like it the same way? No. BYU and St. Mary's, I think, are pretty much destined for an 8-9 matchup somewhere. Gonzaga will get a 1 or a 2 seed. I think BYU is a step above St. Mary's at this point. Uh, St. Mary's only has one quadrant, one win, and then they have That's much awesome. worse losses than BYU. Also, 
Yeah, yeah, but, yeah I, I, I think, I, mean, I, I don't really know what to think about either team that much yet. Um, I don't think anyone's going to contend with Gonzaga for as long as either team just kind of rolls through. Mm-hmm. I think it's a definitely better WCC than it's given credit for. Um, there are some teams in that conference that aren't as bad as people think. Pacific's not bad. Francisco's not bad. Pepperdine's kind of quiet. Santa Clara, for a while, was like a dark horse for an at-large bid, and then Yeah, that was not even close. (laughs) Uh, Moving on, Mountain West, San Diego State's a one seed, and no one else deserves a bid. That's my takeaway. That's it. Utah State, if they make a run. Yeah, Utah State, (laughs) if they make a run, maybe gets back into the conversation. Other than that, that's... A one bid league unless someone wins the conference. And by tournament. make a run, I mean they kind of need to beat San Diego State on the road. Yeah, they'll need to win that game and then roll through the rest of the conference. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to be uh, playing in the NIT or CBI even, because yeah. uh, their resume is not really all that good at the moment. Uh, Couple other teams, Liberty. Uh, I don't really see much of a path if they. Liberty gets in without. They're going to lose to a sub one hundred team if they if they aren't an at large. If they if they have to be an at large team, they're in big trouble. Yeah, even if they do. Probably only one quad two win. They're going to have to win eight. It's good. I really hope they win that league because otherwise, or they maybe fall off. They're going to be like the conversation surrounding Liberty is just going to be off the charts. I am not here for it. Uh, another team uh, kind of shot themselves in the foot last night. Uh, Northern Iowa, they lose uh, last night to Southern Illinois. Uh, I guess if they win the rest of their games, I'd say they probably are safe. Uh, yeah, I would they... think so. I would think a four. I would think a four loss Northern Iowa team gets in. Maybe even five losses. Yeah. Um, as long as that other loss comes to Loyola. But they they're not. They need to probably win the rest or lose one more game as you mentioned otherwise that that would start to become an issue for uh, that Northern Iowa team Northern Iowa is a big Colorado fan yes Uh, if Colorado I guess falls off a cliff then they're probably in trouble that's going to be a yeah that's going to be that's going to stay a quad one win for Iowa yeah they'll need that one uh, any other bracketology thoughts that you have thus far this season? No, I think no, I think that's pretty much it. Okay, so where we're at right now, and and I'm still buying Yale stock. I think Yale's probably a twelve over five upset pick. Just yeah. I I don't think there's a they're in contention for an NCAA tournament bid, but I do think they're a team that can beat any of the fives that are there because Penn State's, I think, a five seed at this point in the season, so 
if they beat Penn State, that's not going to be surprising. Well, Lucas, where can people find your work? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Hardware Sports and pretty much all of my college basketball articles, usually one a day. All right, plus some records that's out. Thanks again for coming on, Lucas. And to the listeners, have a good evening.